So um, a small group uh, today. Is everybody there? Are we ready to start? Uh, I think there are two memorable dates, but we'll, we'll go back to the uh, <laughs> to ancient history for the Katiak um, domain. But there are two particular uh, dates in my mind. Um, anyway, before we get to those, um, the great grandfather of the current uh, incumbent of Sebastian uh, appeared in Burgundy from Savoy um, up in the mountains, and he started working for various wine producers. Uh, and then after a while. Uh, he managed to get a little bit of uh, uh, a few vineyards for himself, because in those days, uh, vineyards cost almost nothing. Um, I remember Etienne Grivo's Aunt Jacqueline saying that the price to buy an ouvre of uh, musigny, and an ouvre would be enough to give you somewhere between half a barrel and one barrel, but the price was the sort of cash equivalent of a barrel of that year's wine. Uh, and how that's changed. So an ouvre nowadays is sort of north of 2 million euros an ouvre, so 50 million a hectare or more. Um, anyway, so he managed to uh, get a few vineyards and also working for a few uh, other growers in the area. Um, and this was by now um, uh, Andre Katia, uh, father of Silva. And uh, you may occasionally see old wines um, from domain either uh, marked as André Catia or else as domain Catia Molinier. Um, and at a vertical tasting we did once in London with a, a collector who'd found all sorts of old bottles around the place, uh, two which stood out from the earlier period were um, the Mark and Saul from 1949 and 1976. Uh, both of those were in cracking form. But obviously, once you've got to that sort of age, it is a question of bottle by bottle. Um, but nobody was paying a lot of attention to this domain. Um, Andre's son, uh, Sylvain, joined him uh, to begin with. And uh, it wasn't a particularly easy father-to-son uh, relationship. So Sylvain then started making a few wines um, on his own. Um, but in 1985, his father retired. Sylvain came back and took on all the um, vineyards that had been collected together by then. Um, and they, he was also working for people called Thomas Moyard, who had a big holding of Malkinsor, and uh, Sylvain Katia was acting as the sharecropper, looking after the vineyards and uh, and getting uh, some grapes from there. But that came to an end in 2005, when um, Thomas Moyard sold up, and those vineyards went some to Domaine Dujac and some to Domaine de Monti. So uh, what Sylvain got instead as a form of um, sort of thank you for the work he'd done, plus buying him out of his uh, agreement, um, was that he got the chance to uh, take on some Nuit Saint-Georges uh, Omerger, so from 2006, um, sorry, Otore from 2006, he has uh, that vineyard added to his range. Um, however, we've gone past the moment when uh, I really got interested in this domain. And it was when I had sold my own private importing business to Berry Brothers in 2003. Um, there were a couple of growers who I didn't really know who were on the Berry's list, who were Domain Serafa in Jervishambata and indeed Katia in Von Romane. So I got to taste the wines. And in particular, I fell absolutely in love with the Katia wines from the 2000 vintage, which explains where you've got some today. Um, 
Uh, we had them also in uh, an early version of our Bergfest tastings. And the 2000 Malkinsaw, in fact, all the 2000 wines that were in that tasting from Katia absolutely stole the show. And as you know, 2000 is not a particularly revered Burgundy uh, vintage, um, but we thought it was so brilliant um, that it, it completely changed my way of thinking. Since then, I've gone back and I've tasted some 99s, which are remarkable as well. And Silva himself really dates the moment when he felt he was getting everything right from 1997. Uh, but you'll be lucky if you find much available in the marketplace from those older vintages. Now, uh, the other date I have in mind, uh, which Mr. Michael Bolmerish will certainly remember, uh, was when he and a few chums from Hong Kong came to London for a lunch at Berry Brothers, uh, in which everybody brought a bottle of wine from uh, a certain other domain in Dome Romine, Domaine La Romine Conti. <clears throat> and um, sadly, there was a particular bottle uh, of Romine Saint Vivant, uh, 2000, which somebody had brought, which was corked. So I caught Simon Berry's eye and then whispered in his ear and said, uh, we've got some of Katia 2000 Romine Saint Vivant somewhere on the premises. Shall I go and get a bottle and we'll serve that? So we served that blind. And as Michael will tell you, it pretty much stole the show. People were absolutely astonished by the quality. And it was one of those moments when uh, conversation rather stops and everybody's fiddling with their telephones under the table, trying to place orders wherever they can find it. Have I told the story truly, Michael? Absolutely, as accurate as ever. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, the good thing is that it introduced um, uh, Katia to, uh, uh, to you and to others. Uh, the bad thing, of course, is that any impetus like that is one of the things that helps to change the market and uh, send prices higher. Never mind. Um, but uh, you managed to buy some, and you've got uh, three of the 2000s. Um, Straight up. Uh, have they been poured yet? Yes, I think they have. I, think I can see colour in your glasses. Um, so if you want to uh, have a little taste of those, and while you're tasting, I'll tell you about the uh, three vineyards which were involved. Um, just changing my view so I can see you a little bit more clearly. Uh, let's have a look. So you have got... Um, I don't know which order they are, but the suggested tasting order would be the Nuit Saint-Georges Merger 2000, then the Marcus 2000, then the Romain saint Vivant 2000, assuming that you're starting with the older wines, starting with the Catillard wines, the Sylvain Catillard wines. So, <clears throat> um, the domain has got one Grand Cru, small amount of Romain saint Vivant. It's got uh, four Von Romain uh, Premier Crus, Marcus Souchot, Orvo, and Regnaud. Uh, and then it's got two Nuit Saint-Georges premier crews, which are Omerge and Otorre. And uh, Torre is nice. It's a vineyard that's close in to Nuit Saint-Georges itself. Uh, attractive wines. Um, but if you see them side by side, then you're probably going to pretty, uh, prefer the Merger, um, which is made from very old vines. They are 70, probably 75-year-old vines by now. And they have nearly half a hectare, 0.48, which is enough to mean you can make a, uh, a proper amount of wine. Um, I'll come on to the sort of details of the winemaking, perhaps when we, in between the Sylvain Catia and the Sebastian Catia wines, um, so that we can see what the differences were. Um, now, Omerge, though it's in Saint-Georges, is up towards the border with Von Romanet which has the result of wines with that extra um, 
elegance and charm and hedonistic pleasure that you get out of Vona Romane, but also with the weight and structure and power that you get from Louis Saint-Georges. So I think that area with Boudot, Merger, La Richemin is a pretty special uh, part of the world. Um, now, uh, we met in January 2018, some of us, to do a Katia event, and very sadly, there were two bottles out, out of condition, which were the Merger 2000 and the Romane Saint-Vivant 2000. So I hope you're having better luck with them today. Uh, um, are they all uh, as they should be, Michael? Or anyone? Looking good. Looking good. Um, now, it, it, that evening that we had together uh, was, was lovely because the good wines were absolutely great, but disappointing that a couple of the, the star wines. And it is true that there was a much higher incidence of cork corked bottles in the 2000 vintage from Catiard than I would like. Um, I have seen them elsewhere also. Um, so then you have Malkinsor, and in a sense, I think it was the triumph of this of the Catiard Malkinsor that really put this vineyard on the map. Because there, there are nice wines from uh, Bichot, from La Marche, from Hudelot Nola, that's a very small holding. Um, and then, of course, more recently, uh, De Monti and, um, and uh, Dujac. Um, but I, the vineyard didn't have the reputation and the pricing that it has today until, firstly, the Catiat wines um, were taken note of worldwide. And secondly, the Dujac and De Monti wines uh, came on the market. Um, and now, of course, Mark and Soris. A different price level to where it was, and many people consider it to be pretty much Grand Cru in quality. It certainly would be a candidate if Fern Romani needed any more Grand Cru's, but uh, they have enough already, one could say. Um, so Markinsaw remains, I would say, the real flagship of the estate, even though, of course, they do have Romani Saint Vivo. Um, they have uh, three quarters of a hectare, 0.74, planted in 1971. So already becoming more or less mature by the time of 2000. And certainly more recent wines you're going to taste beginning to be quite old vines. Um, and for me, it was always a standout. And when I'm tasting the wines there in barrel, some years I can see a proper uplift for the small holding of Romain Saint-Vivant. They only have enough to make about three barrels. I got 0.17, and it's really old vines, actually, 75-year-old vines. <laughs> um, but in other years, uh, I find the excitement of the Markinsaw almost wins the day uh, between the two of them. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's either or, but certainly the Markinsaw is, is truly extraordinary when it's on form uh, for... Of Von Romani Premier Crew, I would say. So um, yes, uh, you've you've got the three together, and I would expect them to be uh, agreeably maturing, but but by no means um, falling off off their perches. Um, so the uh, yeah, uh, maybe I hear back from you, and then uh, then talk about it a bit more. Who's ready to offer an opinion? Oh, very good. I mean, like, offer a balance. Like, you know, 
elegant, yet, you know, packs a punch in the end. I think the math is a little, like, you know, like, you know, probably has a little bit more, it's, it's a little bit more powerful in the mouth. Uh, obviously, it's a little, you know, it would be more elegant, but they're, they're just really well made. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So remember, this is a vintage, which in general we thought when it first came out that you needed to drink it fairly early, sort of five, seven, eight years. And then after the five, seven, eight years, we thought, well, it's a really nice vintage, but for drinking early, drink in the next couple of years. And ever since, we've been saying drink in the next couple of years, and it, ne it never lies down. Um, I mean, Christophe Rumier's Amarez 2000 drunk on Friday took half an hour in the glass really to get where it needed to get to and so it's still developing really really well um so i think because you've got the three of them together in a vintage that was classic for silver it really displays his style so when the wines were young they always had a very vibrant color fresh purple medium density um uh, didn't get black colors not so much red it was very much purple and you got this extraordinarily beautiful vibrant, quite sort of hedonistic, um, fresh fruit um, fruit uh, style on, on the bouquet. Um, and then again, this immense charm on the palate. And the structure of the wine would never get in the way. There was a lot of new oak being used then. Um, in fact, for the wines you've got, possibly not the Nuit Merger, but uh, uh, the other two wines would be uh, 100%, um, and maybe the Nuit as well, would have been 100% new barrel. Uh, barrels all from one cooper in a style that suited um, uh, Catiard's winemaking, which is interesting because the cooper is called Remond, R-E-M-O-N-D, and this was the cooper that Favely made a little bit of a, a show of getting rid of in 2007 when the new team took over at Favely, and they sort of blamed the Overtenic style of the previous generation wines on the barrels that came from Remond. Whereas Catiat was using the same barrels, or at least the same producer of barrels, and was making these wines of extraordinary elegance and no rough tannins uh, at all. Uh, so who knows? Um, one thing I would say about the Sylvain Catiat style is I found the wines absolutely sensational from very early on. And I was never quite sure how well they would age and whether they would do the wonderful thing which is worth paying lots of money for, which is develop additional layers of fruit later on um, when the wines became aged, whether they would build complexity, build secondary and then tertiary aromas, uh, or whether the joy of them was in that first stage. Um, and there may be an element of that. I would expect your 2000s have all held up very well, but I'm not sure that they would have developed um, sort of multi-layers of fruit. I mean, you tell me, but but do you get the impression that it is more one particular fruit style that's that's dominating? Jasper, I don't think that I think they're doing better than holding up. I think these these, these are you know years you know years ahead. Good. Definitely do. Yeah, I think. Uh, I'm gonna let them develop in, in the past. I, I think I think there's there's probably going to be, you know, more more coming out of it. I think I think we're just kind of starting for like right now as 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 we're yeah. drinking it. 
I, I, I'm looking at the glasses, Jasper. Um, so if you look at the three 2000s, you start to see ever so slight bricking on the edges. Yeah. Um, the 09s are still pretty uh, rock solid, but there's a delicacy, a savory delicacy I find in the wines that is different to, let's say, your Romery Conti or your or DRC or a Loire. Do you yeah. use stems? Well, yeah, the, um, no, the, this is key, of course, because the two others you mentioned are, are famous for using stems and uh, up to 100%. And Katia's um, the other way. Not a single stem is, is allowed in. So it is 100% de-stemmed. Um, so the use of the new oak and the de-stemming puts you closer to um, the general style of uh, Henri Jaillet than it does to DLC or Lavoie. Yeah. Um, and I think that's fair enough. Uh, is there any feeling? I didn't think so in Tasting is 2000s. You could tell that uh, they had used new oak, but um, uh, I don't. I never felt that the wines were over-oaked. You never got anything drying. It's the sort of oak that gives you a little vanilla addition to the flavor, but not yeah. toasted. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Good, good, good. Um, Let's have a look and see. So on that on that famous uh, night when we had a couple of corked bottles, um, we even then. So this was in January 2018 um, in Wan Chai, 26th of January. Checking my notes. Um, uh, I, we noted then that the colour was just beginning to mature in the Mark and Shaw. Uh, wasn't really showing any weakness, but you could just tell that beginning of that light bricking. Um, real depth of fruit for this vintage. Uh, again, I felt reaching maturity, but um, uh, but not not aging unduly. And I and we did also find that the wine gained additional depth and succulence in the glass. So there was more still to add, as you're finding now, uh, four and a half years later. Um, so yeah, the final mouthful uh, was in another league. I noted. Uh, I thought it might have been a, approaching its optimum, but sounds like it's still with us in the room. In your room, at any rate, I have a cup of tea here. Never mind. Um, so have you also taken a look? So the other two wines, 2009, um, I'll just continue forwards. So I think after 2000, I didn't see a lot of his O1s, but they were decent. 2002 is very nearly as good as 2000. Uh, they, they were sort of real breakthrough vintages uh, for uh, Sylvain. And then uh, after that, um, three and four, of course, slightly old vintages. 2005, I think, is a wonderful vintage, and his wines were sensational. Um, and then I, um, by this time, his fame was becoming much wider, and Berry Brothers used to get a huge allocation of uh, his wines, and then uh, it got steadily diminished as more and more markets uh, needed looking after. Uh, we still probably got one of the bigger allocations, but. Uh, Everybody was getting smaller. Um, and uh, I haven't recently tasted the 2009s. Uh, as you know, it's a vintage which I believe in. It became a little bit less fashionable because people felt the wines were maybe a bit overripe and or had too many tannins. Uh, I wouldn't accuse the Katia wines of having either of those things, but they will certainly be more heavily structured, more muscular wines in 09 than in 2000. Um, and you've got the two the two top wines, 
uh, Romani Saint-Vivant and Malconsor. Um, how, how are those two showing? I, I find they they are not as perfumed as the RSV, but they are they they have a the house style is very clear. Right. So um, yeah, but you've got sorry, you've got an RSV and the Malconsor. Is that right in 09? Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. Yeah. Yeah. But you're saying not as perfumed as the two thousand. What I mean, no, no, no. What I mean, yeah, well, the two thousand is definitely more open, more open. I think the 09, and I, I'd be curious your view of Jasper on the 09 versus 10 that caviar. But um, I find um, I find them denser and richer. Yeah, but I mean, this is in general um, because because 10s have been lovely to drink at a relatively early age. The rep, the vintage has got a reputation that has grown and grown. And because 09s have been a little bit backward, uh, a little bit tight, um, people haven't been talking about it so much. But I really believe in the longer term that 09 is going to be the winner. Um, the 09s will be sort of 15, 25 years from now, uh, will still be fabulous with energy, and 10s will have gracefully declined. Right. The RSV is definitely more ready now to drink. And the mouth. The mouth will need that. It's more decent time. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, but yeah. it just needs more. I mean, the Romany Sun View one should be effortless. It should just sort of uh, keep on going uh, all yes. the way through. Um, but the Malconsor is something which has got a little bit more, uh, more muscular structure. So I think Malconsor is the other side of Latash. And Latash is always more tannic, the most tannic, if you like, for me, of the. Uh, DRC wines, um, whereas Romani Saint Vivant, I find pretty consistent in wine style through all the different producers. Sure, their own way of doing it is going to make a difference, but I, I don't think there is a noticeable difference depending on where you are um, within uh, RSV holdings. Um, Malcolm saw certain patches have more clay and certain patches have a bit more uh, a bit more sand in them. Jasper, you've managed to try a lot of Malcolm saw over the years. What do you find as the ideal spot within the vineyard? Um well um I'm not sure because um I mean, the Catiel, you would think, must have, simply because the wines are, uh, until the Monte and Dujac came along, uh, the wines are the most um, uh, concentrated of all. I think if you get towards the southern end, which is where you have the two La Marche parcels, uh, plots, which, as from 2022 vintage, will go to um, Compliqué Belair, and you have the Bichot holdings, uh, and you could probably put Hulot Nola in that area. Um, I think there's probably a little bit more sand and they're probably slightly lighter uh, in terms of their potential. Uh, whereas Catiar is absolutely in the center, but in the upper part. Below him is Demonte and Dujac, and then north of him, get, getting close to Latash, is De, uh, also Demonte and Dujac. Um, their, their plots are not, not all in single blocks, they, they're more scattered around. Um, but I think it was when we first tasted Catiar that the wine seemed to be in a different register. But I have no reason to think from my general conversations that his plot should be better than the others. 
Um, I mean, it is clearly, in most years, his top wine of his four. So his typical serving order used to be start with the Reno. Now, most people, if you were told Marcosol, Souchot, Orvo, Reno, you'd love all four of those vineyards, but you might perhaps expect Reno to be the very best. Um, and then uh, Orvo would be second. Um, so on Orvo is a rather cooler slot. Uh, then Les Souchot, um, which is the smallest holding of the four, and then Marcosol at the top. If I had to rank them, uh, and particularly in more recent years in hotter vintages, and perhaps this is also under um, uh, Sebastian's period, I think the Orvo is the other outstanding wine, along with the Marcosol. Reno is getting steadily better as the vines get older. They were only planted in 1996, so even now they're not yet 30 years old. Um, Sucho is the one which um, I find uh, a little bit... Um, um, not trickier, but um, uh, it, it doesn't quite have the uh, the majesty for me of Marconsor and Orvo in the more recent years. Um, yeah, so um, there's a sort of a view across the Premier Cruise. Um, he also makes very nice, um, well, I'll, I'll come on to the other vineyards maybe when we, we switch and we start talking about Sebastian. Um, any other thoughts that you'd like to develop uh, me to develop on uh, on that silver time. It, um, how did he do in the more tricky vintages like before? Uh, I, think, I think pretty good actually from memory, and I don't think he had the sort of the green meanies very much, you know. For um, and okay, let's talk about why he made such good wines. Because I have a suspicion, we used to get pretty much the same allocation every year until he started reducing our share. Um, I've got a suspicion that the vines were fairly fully cropped, not ridiculously high levels, but nonetheless, the, the yields were reasonably high, um, which doesn't detract from the charm, but occasionally um, would make them uh, have a little less intensity. Um, I don't know that's the case. He was never somebody who's ever... Um, uh, comfortable about discussing things like crop levels or indeed techniques, uh, apart from the simplest, the, the key things like destemming everything and the new oak levels. Um, but what I think he did have is just a natural touch, uh, what the English gardeners call green fingers or the French saying I'm a green hand. And he just fallen into a style that worked perfectly for him. Uh, so um, they were really very, very consistent year in, year out. I don't especially remember a vintage in which I felt disappointed by the wines, though obviously you get greater concentration in an 05 or an 09 than you do in a 7 or 8 or 4. Um, so then the big question was, what would change when um, Sebastian came on board? And... Um, Though in many ways the sort of nicest man in the world, uh, I don't think the family relationships were particularly easy uh, for between Sylvain and uh, they hadn't been with his father, and and I think they were difficult for a while with uh, his son Sebastian. It was it became clear that once it was Sebastian's turn to take over, he needed to take over completely. They it wasn't ever going to be easy for the two to work side by side. Um, so Sylvain took his retirement. Um, after the 2010 vintage, and Sebastian came in in 2011. 
So what's he changed? Um, the vineyard work has moved to organic, though it's not certified. Uh, but from 2014, uh, he began earlier in the Rainio, but from 2014, uh, all the vineyards have been run uh, effectively organically. Um, he's reduced the amount of new wood, and I think he moved into that quite quickly. Um, there's still plenty, but the um, uh, it's what's it come down to uh, now? Um, it's still probably 50% for um, up to 50% for the village wines, between 50 and two thirds uh, for the Premier Cruise, and uh, I think it's two thirds, two new barrels, and three, for example, for Romani Sun Vivo. Um, so it's a little bit less. Um, than it was in his father's time. And what I think changed was that the glossy opulence uh, of Sylvain Catiard's style um, gradually disappeared. And instead, you get something which is a little bit more tightly wound. You get a little bit more multiple layers, a little bit more uh, concentration and, and a bit more structure, um, all of which I think are good things in the long-term aging of the wine but make them fractionally less sexy when they first appear in the marketplace. Um, so I, 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 I don't disagree at all um, with this slightly different evolution of direction that Sebastian has taken on board. So the two wines that you've got to taste um, are 2017s, I believe. Uh, oh, you've got three wines to taste. There's a blind one as well. And you'll, since I haven't got it in front of me, you'll forgive me if I don't guess it blind, but... Uh, uh, Michael, I, I had a guess at an earlier stage when you were maybe going to have a look at uh, a blind Romani Saint Vivant 2000. I can have a guess what that wine might have been. Uh, but I don't know what your blind wine is now with the 17s. But is it a 2017 as well? You'll never get that, guys. No chance. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Uh, okay, yeah, you've got um, two, bl two blind wines then, do you? Do you have four wines? Okay. okay, so you've got two 17s that you know about and two blind wines, fun. Um, so the 17s, as you know, it's a vintage with a slightly bigger yield, uh, wines which are friendly and open early. So you could say that in that sense, it replicates uh, 2000. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if you feel you get the same um, difference between the Marcosur and the San Vivant as you got in the uh, in the 2000 vintage um do, do you firstly of course well you know we've moved on by 17 years from 2000 or eight years from 2009 but do you still feel you're broadly in the same style or do you think this marks a really different style it is different to me i think it's a different style it is very different yeah um what do you like which one do you like um i like first one the first one, right? Yeah, the first one I like. Patrick likes the the father's son. The father's son. Right. Yeah, more than more more than the son. So yeah, I mean, I I do believe in the aging potential of the of the son star, but you're also saying that the 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 fathers have aged nicely, though without, in my opinion, necessarily adding vastly more. Um, I must have a look. I, I'm not sure if I still got any two thousands in my in my cellar, uh, but I've probably got definitely got some. Uh, uh, some wines from from dad um and and i will uh, uh I'll, I'll check that out even as we speak 
Um, what about the difference between the Mercansor and the Romanée Saint-Vivant? Do you, do you think that the Mercansor still has the greater energy of the two, or uh, or are they, or do you prefer the Romanée Saint-Vivant? I'll let others comment, but I feel he's got the best Mercansor. I mean, that's oh, by far. the yeah. structure, as dense as it is, weight is. Yeah. So I'm also very curious about the blind. I mean, whereas the Robbie Sarivon, I guess my question to you is, is his Robbie Sarivon ideally located within Robbie Sarivon? Is it all equal within? No, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty much equal. Um, okay. So no, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't anticipate any any difference uh, uh, according to where you are. Uh, right. Yeah. So then, make the winemaking style coupled with the structure that you've got in the mountain sort, that is such a perfect combination. Whereas it's it's a very uh, central style of winemaking coupled with the Romy Sauvignon. Well, maybe that's you know double because RSV is a very perfect wine. But mm -hmm. I find the uh, the mountain sort, the structure and the weight. It's I mean it's intense, right? But then you've got this. Delicacy that kind of overlays it, which is a really amazing problem. Mm. Now you make me wish wish I were there, but uh, still, I don't know. <laughs> I've sold the dinner. Yeah. <laughs> um, right now, should we take a little look at the other two wines, um, yeah. two blinders? So. Okay, so I, they could be different vineyards from Katia. They could be different, the, the Katia vineyards from somebody else. They could be. I think it's inevitably changed in so just in so. That it's one person doing it um, rather than another person, but I don't think there have been. I mean, it's still all these them, um, but there is one thing we could actually come to. Is um, I'm not sure about Sylvain, but Sebastian Katia is one of the later pickers. He says he wants to wait until uh, the wines arrive, and certainly in 2020, I felt it was too late. So I was intrigued to go and taste his 2021s earlier this week. Uh, and I prefer his 21s, uh, which will be in general a less famous uh, vintage, to his 2020s, um, because the late picking uh, ensured that the grapes did get sufficiently ripe, but didn't take it too far. And what is clear that he, I think, listened uh, either to some of the general criticisms of 2020, or indeed to how he found his own wines in that year when they were up at sort of 14.5 to 15 alcohol. Um, and um, in 2022, another hot, dry year, his wines have come in at 12.5, 13 alcohol, uh, which is much better. So I'm looking forward to tasting them next year. Um, so that is one area where I felt that he was maybe not going in the right direction, where it sounds as though he has actually paid attention and, uh, and will get back on the straight and narrow. The other thing he's done, which I should tell you about, is that he has just bought vast amounts of land up in the hills above in the Oak Coat and Lee, and he's built an entire new winery building just for the... He's got five hectares of Oak Coat and Lee. So uh, he now has eight hectares in total of generic Burgundy, and then four hectares of the famous vineyards. 
um, which is uh, important because a he felt he could afford to buy some oak cotonouille style vineyards, whereas he couldn't afford to buy nowadays Premier Cru or Grand Cru. And secondly, if global warming continues, then he's going to get um, uh, later ripening vineyards, <laughs> which will survive well in a hot period. Anyway, um, so that's the future at the Domaine. But um, immediately in the short term, you've got two blind wines. Um, Michael, are you going to give any clue at all? Uh, same vintage, same vineyard. Right. I so, mean, it couldn't, couldn't be more specific than that. But no, I, I've been no. put these two side by side to these guys, and I can already see the reaction. So, so. Do you think that one of the producers, uh, people who don't know, do you think one of the producers is Katia or neither is Katia? Give us some time. Give us some time. One of them is Katia. Which one? The first one. The first one. The second one's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Need some time. I don't know about you, but I like to say. No pressure, guys. No pressure. Just while we're tasting it, uh, has fashion like you know change in terms of like you know we're, we're talking winemaking in terms of destemming and using new old has that has that changed or just still the same? At, at Katia, yes, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's still um, destemmed 100, and the new oak is a little bit less, um, so uh, st still uses plenty. But um, uh, I will. Um, Michael's told me what the uh, wine is, so. Uh, I would think it would have been two-thirds new oak uh, at that time. I'm going to see if I can find a, um, a tasting note on it uh, that might tell me. Um, we, we don't know yet. It's still it's still it's still it's the first one is back. Yeah. So the first one is Right, the note doesn't tell me whether uh, what it what it was, but I, I I would expect that to have been two thirds new oak at that point, certainly at least half. So it might be slightly less than um, father's time, but um, well, uh, yes, no, father's time the two thousands would be made with a hundred percent new oak. But the destemming remains the same, um, and the basic principles are the same. Length of Elevage uh, into a, a through a second winter the same, so yeah, nothing too different. But you know you have a different person uh, doing it, so just all those every single second of your life you're making without realizing it tiny tiny little decisions about something, um, and it, it that does have a role when it comes to how the wines turn out at the end. Hmm. Right, so um, most people are saying that the first wine of the two is Katia. Uh, have I? Is that what I'm hearing correctly? I The second one's a little bit more tannic. Um, second one's more tannic. Okay, interesting. The second one has some savory notes. The first one doesn't. Mm. First one has no savory notes. 
just get the release not to be where it's uh, So might you might you think that there's different? I mean, ha, do, do you think do you think that both of these stem or one is with stem? that first, we can think about the second one. Well, both mount. You all know what B and C is, right? Yes. They both mount, right? Your your C is which one? Um, the second one. Second one, yeah. The second one is the C, right? Yes. I got Sees the cat here. Really? Hey. So who is the other one? Well, the, uh, yeah. The other one should be quite different. I mean, I would have expected. There's uh, cat here. It's like a C, yeah. So, okay. So the first one was perhaps more perfumed, and the second one a little bit more tighter in structure. Is that, would that be fair? Yeah. 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 So it just might be that the perfume is coming from the use of stems of whole clusters. Who uses stems at all? Dujac. Who said Dujac? Give the man a prize. Uh, yeah, uh, Dujac. Yeah. yeah. Mind you, it could also have been De Monti would have used stems too. So, uh, yeah. Um, and any any guess at the vintage? Ten. Ten, oh, ten would still have been the father, so it's not ten. Something new. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Only, only because I feel like you should give it to yeah. us. That's what it's called. Yeah. 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 Right. So uh, everybody got right first time the fact that they were Mark and Saw 2015 from Dujac and from Katia. So uh, yeah. <laughs> all, all passed your Master of Wine exams. But, uh, uh, Dujak has improved. Like Dujak mouths has uh, has, has improved. It's one of the bro, right? It's it's it, it, yeah. Because we we tasted the O five before, yeah, but the fifteen the fifteen is a lot better. Oh sure, but O five was the very first vintage. They didn't in fact have everything yeah. in place then. So the O five is under the Dujak Fise Pair label, um, yeah. and they would only have got in. They they wouldn't have run the vineyard. I don't think in O five. They probably just got the fruit coming into harvest. So. Um, uh, that wouldn't be um, a fair comparison. I think, you know, if you were looking, if you're talking about um, nine and 10 and so on, then by then uh, that would be the, um, even from 06, but but give them two or three years just to get a handle uh, on the um, on the uh, vineyard. So, so yeah, so um, I would expect the 15 to be better than the 05. Do you guys prefer Jack or the Cathy? Um, right now, drinking it, probably Jacks. It's more accessible. I mean, more accessible. It's a bit. So, you want to face that? So, see, yeah, I think it was a little bit too cold when it was so. Oh, yeah, it's warming up, right? right? It's warming yeah, up. So, I, I think it was unfair comparison. Yeah, yeah, it's fair enough. Yeah. But in any case, I mean, nobody should be looking at 2015 as something to to drink in the in the in the coming days. I mean, it's a it is one of Burgundy's great vintages and. You should keep it a minimum of five, and I would prefer 10 years uh, from now, and it will keep for 20, 25 years. But, uh, um, yeah. But it's not, it's interesting, and I think it is telling in terms of the way Sebastian has actually taken the domain that the wine is that much more backward, that much more structure, that much less accessible in use 
than was the case with his father. But it's kind of like the other, it's kind of like the other way of like the other producers, right? Like you know, like you know, other producers like you know, trying to make it more accessible, young, early, more forward. So he's kind of gone the other way, huh? He's gone a bit the other way, and um, uh, yeah. Uh, but but frankly, I think that you should make your wine uh, so that when it is ready, it is as good as it can possibly be. So I'm a little bit sad to see people making it to be accessible younger. Um, yeah. because I don't think you hit quite the same heights on those conditions. Having said which, certainly looking at restaurant lists in, in Bone and uh, the rest of Burgundy uh, and in many parts of the world, you've only got young vintages on the, on, uh, on the wine list. So they, they sort of have to be uh, at least slightly accessible young. Um, but, it, but it does detract from the overall potential for greatness from the region. So um, there we have it. Um, that should be quite interesting. I think it certainly developed our understanding of what the domain is about uh, across yeah. two generations. Um, and um, we will see where it goes from here. Uh, any other closing thoughts? Otherwise, I shall leave you to enjoy. Jasper, I have a question for you. I've noticed a number of critics when they give their scores, I'm not saying scores is the ultimate, but uh, for Cathayot's wines, they never really hit the 100-point mark. But when you look at the prices in the secondary market, they are well in the 100-point zip code. Yeah. Um, for example, some of the RSV is uh, not far off from where you'd find Domingo Romney Ponti's wines. Or, or anything comparable, right? So, what is it that um, you think, in your view, wine reviewers or critics are tasting that gives them, let's say, they lean to 94, 96 points, or 93, 95, or 96, 95, 97, uh, not hitting the 100 when they taste them in barrel or Okay, well, I mean, almost no Burgundy critics ever give 100, but, I mean, we might do a, a bracket of 96 to 100 <laughs> on a, in a barrel. But there's something about Burgundy that you feel, um, well, you know, you, you you want to save for the potential in the future for somebody to reach 100. Um, I mean, I, yeah. Uh, so I'm just looking back at my... 2002 Romanes and Vivor, I gave 97 to. Um, uh, I'm wondering if I've. Uh, Malcolm saw 05, gave 97 to on one of its uh, one of its showings at any rate. Um, that was our 2018 dinner. Um, I mean, I think his wines are. And the, I mean, the tasting note uh, is 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 full of joys. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe with the silver. Uh, Katia wines, they, they just seem so delicious, so so sort of easy in a way, uh, yeah. so accessible that, that the extra points would have been held in reserve for wines where you could feel that there was a huge amount more to gain later on. So that might have been an expression, a, a reasoning behind a, a certain reticence. Um, but... Um, yeah, um, uh, I can't entirely explain it. Um, in terms of the pricing of the Romanesan Vivant, of course, it's 0.17 of a hectare, so you do have the rarity thing, 
which as as uh, as we all know, rarity has nothing to do with quality, though it can influence price. Um, I'm actually looking on my website that from 81 Catiar wines, the 99 Revenue Saint Vivant, I gave 98 to the 02, 97, the 05 Mark and Saw, 97, and then 15 Mark and Saw, I gave 96 to. There you go. Mm. And in terms of tasting things in barrel, there are often scores like sort of 95 to 98, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm pretty high, I must admit. Um, uh, you know more about the marketplace, Michael, than I do. <laughs> but I'm also... may even occasionally have caused uh, a few movements. Um, I would say, just from the point, I don't think it will show in the marketplace, and I don't wish it to show, but for your own enjoyment, the other vineyard that in the sun's time that I would take a good look at would be the Von Romane Premier Cru on all the. Um, add that add that into the, your buying mix. And I, I still think, in a way, you get the quintessential Catiar result out of Mark and Saw, almost ahead of the Romanus and Vivant. But the market just moved. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, we, we should do what. We should do one of these with uh, somebody whose prices are far too high, but we like the wines. We should do one and we should pretend that the wines are all tasting horrible and that we're all going to sell all our uh, wines. <laughs> the market is about to crash down. See if we can move it the other way while still enjoying the wines. Wouldn't that be nice? But, you know, Jasper, you say that there's, there's an alcohol so in, in the public market. Kathy has an alcohol, so it's probably by far the most expensive. <laughs> The, the right. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, 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 he is the reference point for Marconso. I think that remains true, even though Etienne de Monti and Dujac are, are spectacular. And the other producers, producers are all very good. Uh, you hardly ever see the Hublot Nola uh, wine because he's got very little of it and he tends to bottle it only in Magnum. Uh, in fact, he didn't even have enough. He didn't even make one in 2021. Um, wow. That's Hublot Okay. Um, I will I will leave you to it. I think our next definite date is probably early December with Pierre Durocher. And that will be actually with Pierre at, at his winery. So that's good. The favorite final question, uh, if he were here. I should have asked him that when I saw him. I, I forgot. Um, so I think it's 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 best not to take him sort of too far away from where he where he is. Um, so what premier crew vineyard in Vome Romane would I most like to see him have? Um, I think I'd love to see him have some Petit Mont. Let's, uh, yeah. let's put that into the mix. Um, uh, you know, obviously, uh, I would be unpopular in elsewhere if I said I'd like to see him have some Romane Conti or La Romane. <laughs> Uh, that would not make me popular elsewhere. Um, but let's let's see if we could find him some pity more and see what would happen uh, with that. But actually, he's thrilled to get all these little vineyards up in the in the oak coat, and uh, uh, and that's going to keep him happy for a little while yet. Okay, well, I'll leave you to enjoy dinner, and I will see you again in early December. <laughs>